Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 50, Big 5 0. So far, no one's hit a midlife crisis. We're doing good. We're doing good. Our topic for this week is product developizing. Tom, what skill class is product developizing? Well, I think it's two, but I feel like when I do it, I really step it up to like a solid 3.2. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was going to go first, but I changed my mind. Tom, what did you do as far as research and fun facts? (laughs) I just told you I didn't have anything, PJ. (laughs) Gosh, it's like we do a pre-show for no reason. and You still pick on me every time. (laughs) I know, but that's like the only fun I get. You know, it's like a... Tom's going to continue to research while we talk. Tanda, what did you get for research and fun facts on product developizing? Product developizing? Why do I get the feeling that you read the name wrong again, Tanda? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the name changed midweek. And what was it? I don't know. It was product productizing, I think. Or, but, but, that, but that still doesn't help. Not really, no. It would be the same research. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still totally... Totally at a loss because I did the same research that Tom did. Tom Tom stole what Tom said what I was going to say. He did my, the same research I did. I see. I see. So so I should go. I have an idea. PJ, what did you find for history and fun facts? Well, see, if I known that you two weren't going to say anything, I would have taken the entire list instead of only part of the list. Since Tom always complains. I found 26 weird products that really exist. And how many are you going to share? Uh, like 10. I didn't I didn't take all 26 because you're always, you know, moaning about it. Uh, side, oh, sidebar, Tom. Tana, sidebar? Yeah, sidebar. <laughs> double sidebar. Go. It, I, 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 it worked. It, our plan worked. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the, just, the, just the threat of us taking up extra time kept him from naming off a list of, of a I thousand things. I can't believe it. Actually, I mean, you know, I mean, we're, we're down off. to 26. Even at 26, that's not bad. Yeah. Well, we don't forget about the subcategories within those 26, but, you know, 10's well, yeah. better than 26. Well, I mean, if you starts at 10 with some subcategories, well, we're probably still around 26. This might have backfired, actually. I usually eat dinner during this segment, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. Oh, man. Maybe, maybe something light. Yeah. I'll, I'll grab a sandwich or something. Sounds good. When he gets, when he looks like he's only got about seventeen left, I'll I'll give you some kind of signal. I'll text you or something. Oh, good, good. Thanks. Okay. Nope. Okay. There he is. He's shaking. He is. His, he's shaking his list like he's getting it ready. I think he's back. Well, it wasn't that hard to pull up the website. Now I have all twenty six, so we can go through everything. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's gonna be kind of hard to read because the the iPad is now in front of the the screen, so it's. And anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'll stick with the original 10. So first thing was, which I've heard of before, a packet of instant mushroom coffee that's supposed to give you, you know, take care of the, you know, no jitters, but, you know, taste. I don't think it tastes like coffee. I don't know. It's, it sounds weird. You've tried it? No. Instant coffee made made from mushrooms? That's what it says, yeah. Yeah, it's for people that want to stay awake without the jitters. 
I thought maybe it was for people who like wanted to wake up so they had some coffee and then they didn't really care for what they liked. So then they tried some mushrooms. Well, I kind of feel like <laughs> the first thing leads to the second thing. The second thing is called squishy poops. <laughs> and it's uh, they look like little poop emojis and they're they're sort of like the gurgling guts that Jimmy designed where you could squeeze them and they like Ew. they go all over the place and make noises and stuff. But they're called squishy poops. I kind of feel though that that's the thing that you get if you have instant mushroom coffee. That's I yeah. That's I was pretty sure that's what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third thing was a cup of noodles hamster hut, and this is like a. It's like it looks like a cup of noodles that's ceramic, but the inside like it looks like a hole is torn out of the side, like like it's a cave, and your hamster can go in there and just stare at you like ominously, like where are my noodles? It's a. Uh, I'd buy that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was definitely, um, I think, the weirdest one out of all for me. It's a, it's a little metal tin, like a round metal tin that's like maybe I don't know an inch or two in diameter, with a pair of instant undies in case of emergencies, and it, it looks like a a white puck, like it's just a, just like a tab. But in order to get oh. the underwear usable, you have to put them in, in a cup of water. So so <laughs> you're, you have emergency undies that are now wet. But clean. Clean, yes, but wet. So you're going to put wet underwear on? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Some, somebody, somebody didn't really think that, that one through. That's, that's a weird... I don't know. I get the feeling that's like a Japanese invention. The clothing compaction technology is is brilliant i just love that you can like compress a t-shirt down to like a tiny little puck and throw it you know halfway across of a stadium and someone can catch it and and take it home with them i think that's amazing i think that it would be amazing if you had like a whole tub of these things and you were at a party and you just started chucking them into a pool I think that would be, you know, that's a good use for them. Just just that people are all of a sudden swimming with a bunch of underwear. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, the same thing, but they're jellyfish, you know, and the little pucks just expand out into, into jellyfish or little baby sharks or something. Well, there's all kinds of things that expand with water. You know, there, there were those gel animals from, like, you know, 30 years ago where it's like a little tab and you just throw it in the water and it soaks up all the water and it turns into a shape you could you get those those are those are not enough. anyway yeah the the next one was a foul language mug foul spelled f-o-w-l and it's covered in birds mm. with kind of naughty names like the red-bellied oxpecker the bearded tit and the rough-faced sag uh, the last one didn't quite do it for me, but the other two sounded kind of naughty. Uh, I thought that was a good one. Okay, this one was definitely something that Tom is probably going to love. Tanda's going to be like, mm-mm, I'm sad that I even found the thing. It's a variety pack of soda. It's a six-pack, but every soda is a different flavor. The flavors are bacon soda, buffalo wing soda, sweet corn Pumpkin pie, ranch dressing, and peanut butter and jelly. None of those really sound appealing as a soda. I don't think any of those flavors should be ingested with carbonation. That's, that's, I'm just, doesn't, 
No. Well, the the sweet the sweet corn, maybe. Mm, I could yeah, maybe. That's that's pretty much what any soda is, right? It's just yeah. sweetened corn <laughs> corn syrup sweet corn with carbonation. Syrup. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of already sweet corn, right? Uh, yeah. So so this one actually had a review attached to it, and it said purchase for a Christmas gift. Shipping was scary fast, and it's everything it's intended to be. If you want something that tastes good and is easy to swallow, don't buy this. <laughs> so it's it's truly a gag gift. <laughs> yeah, but it apparently tastes exactly like what it says. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah. uh, it like actually makes you gag. Oh yes, God. yes. It's, it's a like gag. birdie it's a bots. Gag. Did you oh. guys ever try the birdie bots when they yeah, came the out? Yeah, every flavored bean. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, oh, gross. They, they were realistic. I mean, they really did taste like what they said they would taste like so have you do you guys seen um you follow aaron uh Kraskel? he's a he's a comedian on instagram he does he does a bunch of things no well i don't know exactly how this series started but he started an interview series with a bunch of celebrities where they're playing this game where they eat those beans but it's like specific like like okay so like there's a little box and you have like a little tab that you spin and then it lands on a color, okay? And so like let's say that the color is white. So then the, the there's beans in this in this white box in in the thing that you're holding and it'll either be baby wipes or coconut. And you don't know which one it is because they look identical. And he's he's got like Gerard Butler, he had Charlie's Theron, yeah, like all like like real big celebrities, and I'm like, how is he? Like, I don't, really? I don't know how he actually got this this show, but like, it's you could tell that it's being filmed, and he's sitting there like just going through eating all these beans with people. <laughs> I don't know, it just it's hilarious. I thought it was very very funny, but anyway, back to the list. Uh, this is a great one for dog lovers: the corgi butt bottle opener. So it, it, it looks like a dog, like a corgi, that's hanging on the wall with its butt facing you, and you stick the beer bottle into the butt to open the cap. That's gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one is equally gross. It is a brick set for you to build your own Lego bear peeing into a urinal. That it it looks exactly like how I, I I just said it. It's it's like it's got clear blocks for the pee, the whole everything. It's I I don't know why this thing exists. Uh, right next to a pastel butt pillow, which is full of wonderfully graded colored butts, and it is toted as being bootyful. If you ever needed a butt pillow, there's there's that. Uh, and the last one I have on the list, which is is definitely a winner, a tube of unicorn snot glitter sunscreen, so you can shimmer without simmering in the heat. It's awful. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right, so not more than mm, maybe 11 hours ago, I got a bargain. I don't even know if it's a bargain. I feel like 
I, I almost feel like I got taken advantage of, but it was free. <laughs> I got old timey to get. Free's a good start. Yeah, yeah. So oh, no, what uh, broken thing did he give you this time? That that is exactly how it starts. Yes. Actually, actually, I should I should back up. He he bought one of my drill press caddies, and I'm grateful. And he's the best guy in the world. You suck. Go ahead with your story. <laughs> Oh, Juan is the best. He's the best. So um, he is. Let, let me let me preface this with exactly how this came about. Juan is moving, and because he's moving, he's got to sell off a bunch of his stuff that he can't take with him, which you know we all have to do when we move. And he had six bandsaws. Originally, three of them were already sold, and he had three left over. And he said, "Hey, do you want to buy three bandsaws off me?" And we haggled back and forth, and we arrived on a price. And then all of a sudden, the three that were sold were not sold. The guy didn't show up. So now he's got six bandsaws. So then he went and did like this big spread to see if anybody would buy the bandsaws. And I'm just going to come out and say it because by the time this podcast comes out, everybody's going to know. Uh, Jimmy Duresta bought four of the bandsaws from Juan. And so that the, the so my bandsaws are now Jimmy's bandsaws. And then a fifth one he sold to somebody else who I don't know. But then he's like, I've got the sixth one left over, but it's in parts. Do you want it? You can have it for free. And I'm like, okay, yeah, what's wrong with it? And his exact words were, oh, well, it needs trunnions. And the trunnions are the little half moon shaped things that connect the table to the bandsaw and they break all the time because it's like they're made out of pop metal and, and they're just they're terrible shape. So anyway, he rented a van to put all like Jimmy bought a bunch of other stuff from him too. So he's like he's driving the stuff up today to Jimmy's, but he stopped at my place on the way to drop off this bandsaw. And we get the bandsaw off the van and <laughs> The first thing I notice is, first off, it's one of those 1990s Deltas, and it's got the uh, the doors that are hinged. Well, the top door is held on by one bolt, and it's hanging down the wrong direction. Like, the rounded part, which should be pointed up, is pointed down. And it looks like it had a fight with something. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is going to need some work. I'm like, where are the parts? So then he gets this box of parts. Well, every part that wasn't broken was missing. <laughs> so I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't even recognize some of these parts. Like they, they must have changed something as they iterated up into like the, the 90s model, you know. But he's given me like a bunch of parts. Like he gave me two different power switches and, and both of them were seized. One of them is like busted out the side, like it's totally unusable. Like I push it and the, the button flies <laughs> off, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I need another switch. Anyway, we, we get it, like we get it off and we unload it and we talk for a little bit and, and then he leaves. But before he left, he did give me, there was one other thing I wanted. He had picked up uh, a bunch of tiny rivets from somewhere and I'm like, dude, bring me some rivets. I need rivets for putting badges on machines. And the, the correct size for like the Delta and the Walker Turners, it's a very specific rivet size that apparently they don't make anymore because I measured and what's offered is is either too big or too small. So I thought he found these old, this old, you know, 
little little treasure trove, and I'm like, I, one of those has got to fit. But none of them do. They're all they're all the wrong size. But but he gave me some, so I was happy about that. And I gave him uh, for for bringing the stuff to me. I gave him uh, an embroidered patch with my logo on it, which are for sale. So if you guys want embroidered logo patches, they're for sale. Anyway, he left, and I really started to look closer at the bandsaw. Um, not only did the bandsaw not have a motor, it had no mounting plate for the motor. So it like there was there was just nothing I could do. I mean, I just I can't even I have motors, but I had no place to, like it was just like would have been hovering in air, right? And this is like a box. the The base is is like one of those uh, folded metal boxes. So it's like there's there's it's all smooth. Like there's nothing there. And I started investigating a little more and finding out that there's more and more parts missing that like for me to buy all the parts that were not there would have cost me more than I could sell the saw for if it was whole. So I'm like, all right, (laughs) this is, this is not going to happen. So then I just started taking everything apart and uh, I'm just, you know, it's going to like, I'll sell what I can sell. Um, But like the cast iron frame, I dropped off at the recycling center about an hour and a half later because there's just, there's nothing, (laughs) it was all rusted. There's nothing I could do with it. I was just, I felt bad, but that was it. Like it was done. So I don't know. Was that a deal? I don't, I don't know. I, I got stuff for somebody. I thought you were going to say, uh, you know, I started going through all the parts, started trying to put them together. And, and the bad news is they weren't even for the bandsaw, but I was able to assemble a palm router out of them. Well, that would have been more helpful. Yeah. Palm router I could use, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's, um, that's it. That's all I got. It was free. Thank you, Juan. I love you, buddy. Safe travel. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, what is your personal history with product developizing? Product developizing. I think that, I mean, I've always had kind of a, a desire to do product development and to make my own products. And that was kind of what led me to start my first business. But I've never been like overwhelmingly successful with the with a product or sold enough of them to, you know, just completely run my business from some product design. I've helped people make products that uh, have gone off and made viable businesses. My first product, I would say, was uh, was a laboratory PC, which was just a kind of a homebrew PC with a special I/O card in it and some special badging and features to make it where you could hook it up to lab instruments. Only sold a few of those when I was in college. And then uh, the product that really started the business I have now was a device for routing phone calls based on distinctive ringing or custom ringing. Or every, every little baby bell phone company had their own name for it. But basically it was where when your phone rang, it had a different cadence. And you could inexpensively get up to four different phone numbers that all rang at your phone, but they rang differently. Hmm. And then I made a box that would listen to the ring cadence and route it to a fax machine or to a business answering machine or to your home answering machine or to your modem. And so it was kind of handy as a small business back in the day because extra phone lines cost, you know, like 20 or 30 bucks a month. 
and to get an extra number on your phone line cost like a dollar sixty. I just for the third chair, if they don't understand, uh, can you explain what a what a modem, a answering machine, and a fax machine are? That'd be great. Tom's making fun of me, PJ. He's calling me. He's calling me old without calling me old. I mean, but, uh, I, I I think he is, but at the same time, he's he's not wrong. He's not wrong. There are people don't know what that is. But yeah. there, there was this, yeah, there was this time period when, you know, there was kind of this, you know, influx of things that were attached to your phone line and, and people didn't want to have separate phone lines. But, you know, if you were a small business, you kind of had to have a fax back in the day. And then you wanted your computer connected or you wanted people to be able to call into your, you know, computer system. And you wanted to put all of that, if you were working out of your garage, you wanted to put all of that on your on your home phone line. You didn't want to pay for four phone lines. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this device was for, it was a way to uh, kind of get around the phone company by adding these extra numbers that people could call. And it rang your regular phone, but it would be like short, short, long, pause, short, short, long, pause. And my device just listened to that cadence and then connected it to the appropriate device. And that was that was a good idea, but by the time I got it to market, um, there were competitors out there. And because I was just a small fry, my cost of making it um, in my I was pretty much making them in my shop, except for the circuit boards. For what it cost me to make one, there were people out there starting to sell them for what for my cost. Hmm. And so that made it really difficult to compete against them. But it was a really good entry into going through the whole process of designing, programming, packaging, marketing, doing an instruction manual, creating a warranty card, having a 1-800 number that people could call, you know, so on and so on. So it was a good, you know, kind of end-to-end creation of a business. So that was was the first thing. And I've made a few things since then, just uh, custom gadgets for doing kitchen lighting and so forth but uh, none of them have like made me a millionaire or anything but uh, i've i've made enough of them to sell them and 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 just the act of having the business and trying to market them led to some of my earlier business success just just going out to contract manufacturers to see if i could get those devices made led to those contract manufacturers asking me how I was getting all of my devices programmed, all of the microcontrollers and embedded logic and stuff. And I told them I was doing it myself. And that led to me having a, a pretty good programming business where I was just uh, programming embedded controllers and FPGAs and memories and stuff for other people in large quantities, like them sending me 10,000 pieces of something and me programming and labeling it, sending it to their assembly line. So it, it worked out, but it kind of morphed into a service business. So that's kind of my brief history with uh, attempts at product design. But Tom has me inspired to uh, go back and try to create another little line of, of products. So Totally. Well, Tom, tell us about your personal history with product developizing. I mean, like all of us, we've always been making things, but I have recently started, I've already talked about this, but I recently started to design more and more and more and more and more. I set a goal to do 100 designs in the next two years, and that was like 
three weeks ago and i'm and you're almost done yeah i'm almost done like i'm already like i think i posted number 21 today and the whole idea is just do it and dismiss any notion that it's a good idea bad idea would sell wouldn't sell worth making uh, you know if it's profitable or not like just do it and put them in the universe and nothing matters other than completion and so far so good i've had a couple of good ideas and a bunch of just like whatever and uh, a few things have even sold which is incredible like just amazing it's amazing when someone agrees to give you money for something that came out of your brain like i'm i'm like i'm such a this is a new reality for me and it's amazing yeah that valid that validation is good and it's a step up from someone just saying oh yeah that's that's a cool idea if you made something like that i think i'd buy it right but the reality of someone actually buying it is different totally um, different you know there i mean someone just being nice and saying i really like your idea and i would buy it and you just putting it out there in the world and somebody going online and buying it is there's a big step up for there oh yeah i mean it's it's i don't know it, like insecurity sets in real quick like like everything's gonna turn to like they're gonna get the product and i didn't think through everything and there's like a glaring gap in in the product that i didn't like anticipate they're gonna be like oh yeah but it doesn't fit anything or, or anywhere and you told me it would fit this thing and it fits that thing and like I'm terrified. <laughs> I hit that big time with my, my device was called the Select 4. Uh-huh. And, and I took a lot of flack. It was called the Select 4 Custom Ring Decoder. And, and everyone was like, like a decoder ring? And I'm like, no, it's, <laughs> it's a custom ring decoder. But I rolled those out and tested and tested and tested to make sure they worked because I ordered the service, of course, at my house. And I, I tested it and tested it. It was was working fine. I started selling them and people started buying them in different places in the U.S. And only when people started buying them and trying to deploy them in Minnesota or someplace, Uh only then did I realize that the cadence was programmed at the local phone switches. And so in a given region, however they randomly decided to create the cadence that the phone rang at was, uh, was just set by someone who who was doing the programming of the main central phone switch. And so then, you know, I, I had to take either take them back or I started making exception to exception to how you set it up and everything. Oh man. So it, uh, yeah. So, but that's good. I mean, if you, if you don't get it out there, you just blindly think that you have the end all be all. Right. And it's only when you start trying to sell them sometimes that you, I mean, you can workshop it to death and you would just never think of it, something like that, until right. it's out there. Right. Yeah, totally. I, and so I, I have that fear constantly. But fortunately, most of the people buying it, I've been able to identify like people that are on Instagram. I mean, the only place I'm advertising it is Instagram. And like people on there are just cool. So if something was horribly wrong, we would just work it out. Like that's it. Like we just figure it out. We'd make it beneficial, you know, that nobody gets completely screwed on anything and it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. We'll see. 
At the end of the day, it's just plastic. It, it's like having it's having a friendly like a friendly beta test group that paid to be beta right. testers. So that's cool. Which makes me want to change my marketing just a little. And even on my website, infinitecraftsman.com, where I'm selling all of these things, where you can go and buy things right now, I want to put in the descriptions, like, this is not, I don't know, there's like a difference between a prototype, it's just one layer past prototype, but I want you to like, have access to it now, I don't want, like, I don't want to use it for three years and then put it out there, I just want you to use it, and if something's horribly wrong, we'll we'll fix it. You know? So it's a beta product. Is that really what it is? It is, isn't it? There is yeah. a name for that. Yeah, it's a beta product. I'm going to label everything beta. I like I like product I'm... product type. Hmm? I like product type. Does anyone use the word product type? No. I've never heard that term. It's like a proto- prototype product. I don't think it's a word. I just made it up, but I like it. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I'm going to put it on there so it confuses Pro- product people. Typing. Product typing. Well, I, I think like a, an automobile is a product type and... And you know, like Tupperware is a product type. There, there are there are types of products. Just that's saying. true. That's true. I don't, I don't think that's new. So, who are there types of protos? This, protoplasm. But anyway, this has been my. This I'm trying to derail your your derailment. <laughs> it's not working very well at all. This has been my recent experience, and it's it's fun. And I've been like somebody even commented to me directly. They said. Like, I like the pace at which you're doing this, which is like a byproduct. Like, that wasn't my focus, really. I thought it was going to be one a week. And now I'm like, one a day sometimes. Or one every three days, because it takes me three days to draw everything. Um, So, like, that's been fun. And I told him, I was like, I can get to like 90%, you know, in the product's life. I can get to 90% in a day. I feel like I shouldn't even waste my time trying to chase that last 10%. Like, sometimes things are just good enough, and they're fine. They're functional. They're usable. You know, the 10% that I'm probably not getting to is actually a loss for me, and that's, like, developing the product to be cheaper to make, quicker to make, easier to make. But none of that really matters to the end user. It matters to me. And I can get there when I feel like I need to. Like, I can put the time in when it's a glaring profit gap well and the design for manufacturer to go from a prototype to design for manufacturer is a is kind of an you know it's an interesting part of the design Mm -hmm. but it's not as enjoyable as just conceiving of the idea and getting a minimum viable product Mm -hmm. and so if there's a way that you can sell it as soon as it's a minimum viable product you know that's that's where a lot of the fun lies yeah but not but not a lot of the profit i mean it's it's difficult to uh to sell enough in quantity at that stage. So then, then that, if you, as long as you know, that's where you're at, then it's, it's cool. Right. Well, what's cool about what I'm doing right now is that my costs to produce the item is very low. The biggest expense technically would, and it's not really an expense, it's time. Like those drill caddy things, if you bought every piece of it, it's like 20 hours of printing. So I need to price it to pay my printers. That's the biggest hang-up. Right, or, or create, a, create a print farm or shop it to yeah. places that have print farms and see if you could still make a profit if they're printing it for you. But right now, like, you know, orders are obviously so low that it, I can manage it, and I don't mind buying... I mean, I'll probably buy 10 printers before I outsource anything if I had to. I don't mind doing that. 
it really it's exponential it, it pays for itself very quickly and as you go you can really i don't know you just buy it out of the profits i think it'll happen quicker than i think which will be exciting yeah no i think that it, i i did a product for a guy about three years ago and and it would have been something super easy i mean i designed it to be injection molded mm-hmm. and for whatever reason he he was trying to patent it and he was you know, trying to keep total control and he didn't want any outside investment. He didn't want to, he didn't have enough money to pay for injection molds, mm-hmm. but he didn't want to take on any outside. I mean, I even lined him up with an investor and he didn't want to, you know, in fact, he left the meeting in a huff at the idea that he wouldn't <laughs> own a hundred percent of the company. Yeah. He ended up buying a few printers and just printing them. Cause I had 3d printed the prototypes last time I saw it saw him he was still just just printing really small quantities of them and selling them and he was he was happy with that but it would have been a product that if it was on a it was a durable medical uh, device Mm -hmm. and if it would have gone on a formulary something somewhere which would have been a no-brainer i mean he could have made a fortune with this he had a, a really really good idea and it was just a a plastic part that could have been printed for 50 cents and Mm -hmm on a on a formulary it would have charged five bucks and people would have been happy to have it and the doctor would have just said this comes with your oxygen supply or whatever and it's an additional you know 20 bucks a month for four of them or whatever right and it would have just been money coming in but he wanted so so much control that he ended up just creating this little tiny print farm and he just does a few at a time (laughs) so those people are the are the ones that don't they don't excel they all they do is they think they have one good idea that's the only idea they're ever going to have and they hold on to it like it's their lifeline tom i don't know why you're waving you have like 18 million ideas no tom's the exact Uh, opposite of that and i think it's the the way to it's the way to get somewhere because you'll find all the bad ideas you'll find some good ideas you'll find things that people will rip off you'll find things that right you know you'll get to that niche um where where it's something that you make and people want, but it's not so, you know, so big that you're going to get ripped off. And it just seems like a good path to get there. Right. The dream, I mean, the dream would be somebody sees it and goes, oh, I'll, I'll buy that idea off you. And I'll be like, great, take it. I don't like, I don't want to make them. I mean, you know, I'll just pocket that money and keep going. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to get to a, a sales level that's interesting to people before anyone will pay you because at a small sales level, they'll just rip you off. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. I mean, the, the coming up with ideas and making them, especially now with 3d printing is, is much easier than going from there to a product on a shelf in a store. That's, that becomes more difficult impossible or or selling high quantities through your own website it's possible it's certainly possible but it's but i think your i think your approach is the best way to get there because you're going to have to just come up with lots of ideas yeah if you think you have that one idea that's going to end up selling like something on a store shelf the odds of that are are smaller (laughs) (laughs) you never know what's going to hit you know It, it also has to do with timing just the right timing can sometimes make a simple thing turn into a giant thing. So, uh, as for me, 
when I was thinking about product development, probably the first thing that I would consider product development I did years ago was when I had my airbrushing business when I was still in college. And everything was different. You know, I would airbrush T-shirts, banners, uh, Valentine's cards, all kinds of stuff. So I was, I don't know if that was development so much as I just had products that I was creating. But then moving along, I was a custom jeweler for several years, and that was me making my own products. A lot of times it was input from the client. They told me what they wanted, and I would create it based off of that. But there were a few things that I made kind of like from my own uh, inspiration. And, you know, I have, I still have a couple of those. But more to what we're talking about here, I think that uh, I've talked about this in the past. The products that I've come up with in the workshop haven't really flown over well. But recently, uh, especially since I had the 3D printer, I have started trying to find things that would be products that, you know, not only would sell, but would also help me. Uh, for instance, the very first thing that I designed and made that's actually functional is a spring return cap for an Atlas drill press that I got. I, th I think it was the one that I got from you, Tom. Uh, the, the cap was missing. So um, I mm -hmm. designed it. Uh, I went through, I, I did a post about it and I had like four iterations on the post, but it actually turned into like eight or nine because I kept refining it, trying to make it better. And I think I might actually need to do like one more tweak, but it's it's like 95% there. And that's something that can be sold. Uh, I, I just realized that Atlas also manufactured some drill presses for craftsmen. So the parts are interchangeable. So now I have one part that actually will fit two different drill presses. I've started working on other parts for other drill presses, um, including parts that don't exist. I've thought of some improvements on some tools. For instance, I'm, I'm working on a, it's an add-on vacuum port for the standard like 40s to 60s Rockwell Delta 14-inch bandsaw. I think in like the 80s or the 90s, they started making those plastic vacuum ports uh, part of the design because like the one that I got from Juan had a vacuum port on it. But those are very specific. Like how it attaches is very, very, like it's it's basically in the cast iron. That's That's how it goes on. Like there's ports for it and screws and stuff. I'm designing one that actually doesn't require any of that and it will fit on any bandsaw. Or, or, you know, any Delta, at mm -hmm. least. I don't know about other models, mm -hmm. but um, that's my own sort of original product that I've been workshopping. I haven't made a prototype yet because it's been having a, a heck of a time with the design. It's very, very tricky to make something fit where it wasn't designed to go. But I'm also doing drill press spindle pulley covers, the little towers that go at the top of a drill press. Those are always getting lost. Another one that I have um, that I'm is, is on my list for some of the older Walker Turners. They had this really specific uh, light switch. It's not a cover. It's like a module. It's like a little. It's like, it's almost like a box that screws onto the side of the drill press. But it had all these Art Deco sort of um, accents pressed into the metal, and I have at least one drill press that has that, possibly two. But for the most part, they're missing on all the drill presses. Like, they're just gone. Somebody took them off or whatever. But if I could make that 
uh, that would be a good product. I think that people would really like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm basically, my product developizing is taking existing products that are no longer made and I'm remaking them. And I think that there's, there's a market for that. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. And and you could prototype them and then, you know, actually, you know, get a design that works and then stamp them out of metal again or something and actually really make that product. And I think it would be perfect fit for for what you're doing. Um, I've had people approach me about doing like making replacement parts for old cars, doing the design and making replacement parts for old cars. But I'm just not that into old cars. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not in I am not in touch with the market. But something where it's like you are collecting, buying, selling, following, doing the research on this equipment, then you're in a perfect spot to know that market and know what gets broken, what needs replaced, what's always missing when you buy one used. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I fell into that super niche market for my Nintendo TV. Uh, If you Google Sharp NES TV, you'll find information about it. But it's an ultra rare collectible television that had a Nintendo built into the base of it and the doors I know I've talked about this before the doors are always missing so the TV door that you like click and it pops out and the controls are in there and also the game door uh, had a, had a door on it there's only 200 people in this Facebook group there's not many more people that even own these things there's not that many of them in, in existence but 95% of them are missing these doors so I lucked I just lucked into that so like what you're saying I personally knew about that product, about what is commonly missing or whatever. And I'm actually printing feet for it now. I have these really stupid design feet that also broke off. And it's hard to find those markets. I, I recently joined some old radio old radio groups on Facebook to learn a little bit about that, but I'm just not into it. But there are all kinds of knobs that are missing and light-covered dome things and back panels and battery doors and mm-hmm. like it's this whole world but you kind of have to be into it in order to really know what to make and what to profit from and there are just a lot of those kinds of things out there where there are especially groups that you can i mean if you're into something you can find a group that's doing it yeah and if it happens to have a good crossover where you know they're not machinists but they need something machined or they're right an older generation so they're less likely to have 3d printers then it's a good crossover i know when i did the uh when i bought the chinese uh, shoe patcher and i cleaned it up and i got it working and there were a lot of people converting it to electric putting a sewing machine motor on it and driving it and i thought about doing that with mine it's still just a hand crank but Mm -hmm. they were just making a replacement flywheel with an o-ring belt groove in it and and selling them for a lot because people got the shoe patcher for cheap. They're not expensive and mm-hmm. you can find old sewing machine motors cheap, but unless you know somebody that's a machinist, it's going to cost you a fortune to, to get the flywheel with an O-ring groove in it for an O-ring belt that you can run on your sewing right. machine motor. And it's not a hard part to make, but it's one of those things that just through that group and through word of mouth, you could probably you know, sell a couple a month and just have a little side gig doing that. And you could find lots of little things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of like Alex French guy cooking who is like 10% maker, 90% cook mm-hmm. or chef or whatever. But he like goes about cooking in such a makery way. And it's so cool. 
but he's like that crossover. He's the guy that doesn't, I mean, of course he fits in the community, but he, he's an outsider. Well, and he's the guy that looks at the pasta machine and goes, instead of just accepting its flaws, I want to make a better pasta machine. Or right, ha- or right. team up with some other makers to make a better but pasta machine. The maker community yeah. is his niche, right. right? So it's kind of that weird crossover of like right. think think of a community that's not makery that you can make something yeah. for, right? I I think that there's definitely a sweet spot, and like the thing with the radios, like you're talking about, Tom, the the immediate like like jump back feeling, like the recoil feeling for me, is that there are thousands of radios and they like from from year to year they changed they because it was like Mm -hmm. the new model versus i'm talking about walker turner drill presses where the models stayed the same for several years before they changed it and then even after they changed it some of the parts are identical so it's like you're you're not having to get like it's not such a wide spectrum like i can make one part that could service 10 15 years worth of drill presses so, you know. Right. No, that's totally true. But there are areas within that community. Immediately, like, 20 people were like, oh, what about the... There's, like, a little dome that goes over a light that shines on the knob? I don't know. And it was on this one radio that's kind of like a collector's, like, everybody kind of wants one. And they say the dome costs more than the radio. Like, you... like. In order to buy, like, the dome's 100 bucks, and, and a lot of people are finding these radios for less than that. So if you can make a dome for 50 bucks, and I totally could, uh, but it was made out of metal, like a stamped sheet metal thing. Not stamped, but molded mm-hmm. stamped. Is, is it, there's a difference, right? So it's still stamped, just a lot bigger press. Yeah, right. I'm like, I could make, you know, I could obviously 3D print something, but I just, like, I don't care yet. Like, I... I'm not that desperate for a area of opportunity, maybe. Well, and you kind of have to have your own interest in the community, or it's really easy to lose interest. I mean, I I worked with a couple people with the you know on the shoe patcher thing, just you know, kind of noodling it. Mm-hmm. But then I just stopped going and checking in at the group because I'm not that interested in Chinese shoe patchers. I was just interested in sewing my leather stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't I don't want to become an expert in getting the machine running for everybody else. Um, so you kind of have to have your own interest in it as well. Well, shucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy loops and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you designing and developing products, but you're just hitting a wall? Well, what you may need is something to increase your artistic yield. We have a new product that's conformable lattice for artistic yield. It's a product that can be mashed around and molded and formed into just about any product. And you can buy it now at Johnson's. There are some side effects. It will get stuck in your carpet. Pets will sometimes eat it, but it can be used used to make anything and everything. You'll find it in the back under its acronym, Conformable Lattice for Artistic Yield. That's right. It's under the big yellow sign that says clay. For just $14.95, you can buy a pound or a pound and a half for $14.72. At Johnson's Hardware, you'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. 
Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. Crossbreeding? It's time for crossbreeding. You're right, Tom. Yeah. But what what, you, what skill goes well with product developizing? Design. <laughs> Tom's hiding his face like PJ could reach through the monitor and slap him. <laughs> I have to, it's got to be design. It has to be. I feel like all of us can say design today and and that's accepted. Tanda, what skill goes well with product developing? <laughs> I would say market, market analysis. Or at least for mm. me, that's something that I think I tend to overlook. I get it real excited about making the thing and forget that I need to pair that with a need for it, how people use it, what the market is for it. And so I'm going to say market analysis. Market analysis is a good thing. I'm going to say observation skills. So like what I'm doing. Identifying problems. Well, yeah, identifying problems is definitely one thing. But I'm I'm reproducing parts that are not my parts. Somebody else designed them. So I'm having to, you know, observe very clearly like what it is, the thing that I'm trying to make, I'm trying to copy and, uh, I, you know, they're not going to be 100% accurate, but if I can get like 95% there, that's good. You know, like people will accept that. So, yeah, observation mm-hmm. skills. That was easy. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was just another way of saying market analysis. No. <laughs> mm, this was made on the fly. I hope you like it. All this talk about products reminds me of that time where we made a product together that mm-hmm. was really great for a short period of time. Do you guys remember when we did the shop pet? Is that the time, what, the thing where it catches stray cats and kills them automatically? No, no, no. That it catches no. stray cats. It catches stray sawdust. Oh. Remember, it was oh, no, like no. a little fuzzball was... thing that uh, that caught stray shavings and sawdust and yeah. kind of develop its own personality from all of the stuff stuck to it in the shop. Yeah. Oh, I'm confusing I'm confusing things that we made together. Had, Sorry. Yeah. Had a, had a little had a little leash. Remember it had a little leash with a with a wristband where you could uh, you know, mm-hmm. it could follow you around. It had those giant we had those instead of googly eyes, we had those they looked like marbles, but they were eyes that kind of were nested inside all the little furry bits and you know, it would get all That's like... That's right. That's right. It was super cute. It was really, you know, it was... I, I really liked it. I really liked it. I think I still have mine somewhere. It's probably one of the only ones left. We sold a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, that was probably our downfall. We sold them to the wrong people, I think. But, uh, yeah. Well, we should have had a better screening process, I think. But, um, but I mean, you know, it was... it was. I, I, we were inspired by the Pet Rock you know, from like the sixties, it was, it was a huge craze. And, uh, you know, it was the seventies. I don't even remember when the pet rock was, but you know, the, we were thinking, you know, we need something for makers. And the shop pet was just like, I feel like it was like the, the, the distant cousin to the pet rock. And I don't know, it did what it was supposed to do. It was cute. It was, it was lightweight. It's, it kept your company when you were working alone in the shop. It, you know, it caught all the sawdust. So it didn't get all over you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of helped clean up. You know, it wasn't super useful, but it was sort of useful, kind of like any pet. Right, yeah. Kind of an intrinsic value more than actual value. Well, that's kind of 
you know, with these, what's the value of a rock? You know, what I mean, like it's it just, it looks nice. That's basically it. But the, the, I don't know. I mean, I felt like common sense was kind of you know implied when you bought this thing. If you're buying something that's really you fuzzy, you know, the, don't put it next to high speed spinny things. I mean, that's just that's not going to end well. You know, it's I don't I don't understand why people didn't 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 think these things through. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was obvious that you know if you if you put it next to high speed spinny things, it could get caught, it could break, mm-hmm. and duh, the eyeballs are glowing, and they have a lifetime warranty that they'll glow forever. I mean, you got to know that that's not batteries. It's it's something radioactive. And as long as the eyeballs weren't broken open, then then it was fine. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. people started breaking the eyeballs on purpose and yeah. No, it just it got out of hand. I mean, way out of hand because people were like growing third hands and and stuff, well, but <laughs> That's true too. It's not so bad that it gets sucked into the machines, but you know the the wristband leash that you mentioned earlier was um, not the best idea. I I don't know. I I I think that it was perfectly okay, but I mean I think that the thing that bothered me the most is the people that sued us for emotional trauma when their pet died. Then it was their fault. I mean that that doesn't seem like they're just kind of passing the buck, trying to make a profit off their own stupidity. You know, I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like it's like if you're at somebody's house. And you slip and fall, you know, put on your big boy pants and just admit that you slipped and you fell. It wasn't their fault. You know, don't sue your friends. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's common sense. Well, did you say Tommen, Tommen sense? Tommen sense? Yes, yeah. Tommen sense. So those people that slip and fall in your house, uh, they don't sue you. Their insurance does. Because they ask, where did it happen? And then they sue your insurance. And you have no say in whether or not that happens. But I'm with you. All right. Well, well, maybe maybe that was a bad example. No insurance company is going to sue us over a, a, a shop pet getting killed. You know what I'm saying? But the people would. That's the thing I'm saying. Right. You know? the, well, I think it was more about the arm being dragged into the machine that was attached to the shop pet. But, you know, some. Yeah, but we had that picture on the box that showed the uh, shop pet tied up safely in the corner of the shop with its leash i mean the intention mm. was that you can use its leash to keep it away from those sorts of things right not yeah. have it tied to you while you're operating the lathe right well i i see how that can be easily confused i mean like yeah. when you buy like those fuzzy dice for like your old 57 chevy it's pretty obvious that you're not supposed to tie the dice to your wrist while you're driving you know what i mean they're supposed to hang from the rearview mirror you're not Actually, that's a really good example because they're illegal. You can't hang anything from your rearview mirror. Same with those little gar- those like license plate frames. Those are also illegal. What about baby shoes? Baby shoes are illegal. Oh man, those babies are going to get in trouble. Mm. I think that's the perfect example. I mean, you know, I mean, they're not going to make baby shoes illegal because people hang them from their mirror and then can't see where they're going because you're supposed to use them as baby shoes. And if you buy a shop right. pet, you're not supposed to be wearing it while you're turning things on the lathe. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. We should tell our lawyers about that. It should be watching you from a dark corner. Besides, I mean, with the whole radioactive glowing eyes, why, why would you want it right under your shop light? I mean, it's, it's much better served to put it over in a dark corner of the room 
where it can kind of light up that corner. I still think the benefits of that vastly outweigh the risk. I got it. Okay. I, I was quiet about it when we released, but I, I'm going to put, I, I never liked the glowing eyes. Okay. I never liked the, they, they creep me out. I, I don't think it's friendly. It looks like something that's coming to get you. They look like they were possessed. I, I, I never liked it. They, but the follow on, the whole follow on product of the, of the cordless tools that were powered by the shop pet. I mean, it had to have the glowing eyes. Maybe we could have made them where they weren't, weren't emitting light. But the whole small reactor thing had to be there because the follow-on product was being able to put your shop pet into various tools and have it power them. That that's another thing you shouldn't you shouldn't power things with a pet. That's I, I was also against that too. No, not, not even like a hamster hamster driven router. What about horses? That was also a really bad. Don't you remember what happened to those test hamsters? Those were oh my god! I still have nightmares. Yeah, me too. And, and, and Tom, uh, horses are, are just horses. You know, you, you either ride them or you let them run around. You know, you don't power something with a horse. Yeah, you do. A mill. If you... they're a Shetland, they can be a shop pony. <laughs> Shetland shop pony? No, you use a horse to run your mill or other things that farmers do that I don't know about. I mean, you could maybe plow a field. Sure. But. Then the horse is the tool. <sighs> I don't know. I'm totally sidetracked because all I can think about is this insurance commercial I just saw the other day where it was this little girl trying to make a decision about what which present she wanted to open on her birthday. And there was like a whole table full of presents. And then right next to it, there was a Shetland pony that was wrapped in wrapping paper. And she's like, I want that one. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious that this horse was standing there with wrapping paper on it. It's great. I think we're going to stop there. Yeah, everybody knows you're <laughs> supposed to put a horse in a in a bag in a gift bag. Oh, no yeah. tact. Yeah, totally. Yeah, sure they made something. They made it all up. I feel weird they got suckered in by a, an insurance commercial. Anyway, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to wrap up the show? Uh. No, maybe not. Shoot. I thought I had something. I've got, I've got a couple things. If you're uh, if you're going to the Catskill Maker Camp, that's coming up this weekend. So it'll be this episode will come out the Friday that starts the Catskill Maker Camp. And the other thing is, uh, you know, you should be following Tom and uh, and cheering him on on his product design and development. And and he's like infinite craftsman. And, he, and he's approaching infinity soon with his products. Yes. Uh, yes. That, that Maker you, Camp is not sponsored, and, and I don't recommend them. If, <laughs> and I don't recommend it. I don't recommend them. Uh, yeah. Follow, on Instagram, my stories, if you want to watch somebody fumble through product development that is not a professional but somehow manages to make some things, I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. And since we're talking about products, I'm going to push my embroidered logo patches, which went on sale last week. I have a 50% embroidered logo patch and a 100% embroidered logo patch. And they come with two stickers shipped. 50% is 10 bucks. The 100% is 15 bucks. If you would like one of each, you can get both of them with the stickers for 22 bucks shipped to your door shoot me a DM. 
They're very nice and fancy. I think you could you should explain fifty percent embroidered because you know it's not just the left half. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so the fifty percent embroidered patch has um, a, it. Everything is is sewn into twill. It's a twill backer, and you can see the twill um, for fifty percent of the patch, whereas on the hundred percent, all you see is stitching, and the stitching is a little shinier than than the just the twill backer, which is more matte. So it just has a slightly different look to it. But hey, you know, I figured I would give you guys the choice. And and that's it. So uh, hit me up. And uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters. Our top Patreon supporters, our very own Tanda Madison and, of course, Creator Nader. We did not have any new Patreons this week. I was saddened when I checked the email and I didn't see uh, nary a one. I'm sure someone has a spare dollar they can give up a month, 25 cents an episode. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, about uh, becoming a second Patreon member, but oh then I had God. to buy a new webcam for the podcast, and so I may have to cut back on my uh, <laughs> on my donations to the podcast. I'm in this really weird loop, so I don't know. Should I send you some money, PJ, to send me some money to buy a webcam? Uh, everyone, yes. please help Tanda. Don't make her become a second sponsor to the podcast. Please, uh, you know, just give give a dollar. You know, it's just she's she's already you know. Don't just, we don't want to have to pay for therapy for Tanda because she's she's double double sponsored and and she needs a webcam. Um, just uh, just just help help her out. Help help Tanda out. It's all it's all I'm asking. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Hey, fellas, it's uh, tool time. I don't think we've done a tool time in a hot minute, but... Tom told us he wanted us to help him develop a product. And I'm 100% confident that we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and, and I, would, I would go so far as to say we'll come up with something. That's possible. I'm not 100% on that, but that's possible. Well, I didn't say something viable or something good. I just said something. We'll come up with something. Well, you're, you're more confident than I am. I'm confident we're going to talk about it. That's, that's for sure. That, Tom, do you have any idea what kind of tool you would like to... I'm assuming this is something that you would like to 3D print. Uh, uh, no, this is, the, this is the first time hearing about this. I don't... What are we doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> Tom, really? <laughs> all right, all right. A couple ideas. I want nine ideas by the end of this. I know you said that's not what we're doing. Um, the idea came up... Uh, to make not a first aid kit, but more of a second aid kit for makers. 
and you might describe that a little differently, like a everyday carry kit for makers, but not like actual carry, like more like if you had like a six inch by six inch shelf in the corner of your shop, what would be on it that every maker needs? Mm. And I'll give you two examples, a Sharpie and super glue. Oh, so that would be, that would be good. You could make it a, like a copy of a first aid box. Or maybe even buy inexpensive first aid boxes. Throw the guts out so that they hang on the wall, like they use, like like they usually have the little keyhole thing where you can hang them on the wall, and they open up yeah. to make a little shelf for the first aid kit. Um, and it could be like a shop aid shop aid kit. I've got an idea, but I don't know if it's actually the right direction to go with this, Tom. But I I just remembered yeah. that I saw um, Ethan Carter designs on Instagram. He made one of those slap bracelets, you know, like we used to have when we were kids, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he made it out of a tape measure. Still have? He took like a tape measure, cut it, and then formed it so that it was, you know, the springiness went in the right direction, and then he he wrapped it in leather so that, you know, it was his own little slap bracelet. And I was just thinking, what if you took that and you somehow attached, not compartments, but like little molded holders like things like almost think of like like um the batman utility belt okay yeah where it's got the compartments for things so you had like a little compartment for super glue you had a thing that held a pencil a thing that held a sharpie something that held a ruler and it was all attached to this springy you know like not necessarily a bracelet but like this this thing that you know maybe you could like slap it onto your thigh and then all of a sudden all the things were on your thigh and you could just pull whatever you wanted off of it, but then you could just pop it off, put it down if you wanted to, you know, you walked over to a table. You just want to be able to carry it around without holding it. I don't know if that's the right direction, but it's a thing. I'm with you on that. I, I can I can visualize that there is something similar, which is like a magnet, like a cloth magnet thing that you can strap around your arm, I suppose, yes. your leg. I even saw one that looks like a bowling glove and the whole glove is like a giant magnet, which would not work well in certain environments. <laughs> like like you go over to your welding table and you come back looking like you've grown fur. Right, but that's that's only for magnetic stuff, though. Or like you slide a piece of wood through your table saw and it magnetizes to the blade. I don't know. That, that's probably not a good There's idea. There's a liability in there somewhere. Yeah. But that's a, as bad as the shop pet. But I, I'm... I guess I'm I maybe I'm unusual. I don't like to carry a lot of stuff on my person when I'm working in the shop. I like to have it handy. I like to have it nearby, mm-hmm. but I don't I've never been one to really wear like a tool belt or pocket thing. Sidebar, Tom. Yeah. Uh Tanda just said she might be unusual. I don't think she's able to pass that off. She's definitely unusual. How does she think that she's getting by with like slightly normal? She's like well, the most she's modest about it. <sighs> she's modest. No. She doesn't want to overplay. You know, she just she's you know, she doesn't want to be like I'm the most unusual person. She just wants, you know, she just kind of downplays it a little bit. She's very modest. I, yeah, but I mean, I think it's pretty obvious between the three of us, she's definitely the most unusual. I don't know. I've been working pretty hard at being unusual. I've been I've been putting in the time, man. Yeah, yeah but Tom, every episode we we have, you know, she she always seems to pull something out of thin air that we've never heard of before. That like took That's like true. eighteen years true. of experience. We're like, really, Tanda? And how long were you swimming with sharks as a professional? And she was like, oh, I was doing that for like two decades. Yeah. You know, 
yeah well <laughs> she, she's the phoebe of the group for sure yeah yeah i don't i um i don't know it just uh, that that really caught me off guard that she thought that was just gonna slide yeah. on by oh, oh man uh, yeah oh she's Coming back. Oh, coming oh back. there she is. She's 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 blinking her eyes. I think she's coming no. coming too. Tanda, T- Tanda, yeah. you bring up a good you bring up a good point, Tanda. So it's I don't like to carry anything ever. Like my wallet is the Apple Wallet that sticks to the back of my phone because I don't even want to carry a wallet. My key, my set, my main set of keys is literally my car key and a key fob. I don't even carry a house key because I bought the electronic thing that you can break into my house with. So I don't like to carry anything, especially in the shop, which which brings up the question, where do you put this thing? And well, I have one one idea. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea of something that's small and you can maybe get a couple of them and just stick them up on yeah. the wall like you would a first aid kit or a fire extinguisher. You can just have them here and there in the shop where they're nearby. Mm-hmm. I think there should be one at every major tool. So table saw, band saw. Like there should, they should just be there. They should be next to all of your, you know, your battery power tools. There should be one of these. It's, it's like a kit. It's like a small little kit that has like five or six key items in it. And you can easily restock it. You can easily see when the things are missing. I like the idea of a fold out door. Oh, kind of like the, you know, sort of like the drill indexes where you open up the cover and then the yep. the things that are holding the drill bits tilt out. So I kind of like the idea, maybe not even have a door. Maybe the whole front just tilts out. And then it has mm-hmm. slots for Sharpies, a tape measure. Piece of string. You know, whatever you might, you know, ascribe, whatever you might need in that area. I, I actually think it should go the opposite direction, Tom. I was thinking of like, almost like a, one of those pencil, like cup cup pencil holders. You know that are divided. Yeah. Like so, imagine you've got yep. a cup that's divided into like four sections. You have a magnet on the bottom, so you can actually attach it magnetically to whatever station you're on, and then each little quadrant holds a thing. It doesn't have to be like a cup, but it could be. You know, it, it one one thing holds a pencil, one thing holds a ruler, one you know, like each thing could be molded specifically to that tool. But I feel like something that is almost cup-shaped would be easy to pick up and go with. And then the fact that it has a magnet means that it's not going to tip over when you put it down. You know, it could it could hold mm-hmm. on to something. But then you could also put it um, vertically, or I'm sorry, um, horizontally. So imagine if like you're, like I, I know I've been in some shops where um, instead of wood beams, um, there's metal beams. Or you're next to metal mm-hmm. tools, you can actually attach it. To where it's it's horizontal and you could still pull the things out horizontally instead of normally vertically like a cup would normally sit. Right. Well, and then you could make you could just have a little right angle bracket, a little steel bracket, and so you just put the little right angle bracket on the wall, and then when you're not using it as a tool, you just it's got a magnetic base, so you just click it onto that little bracket that's screwed to the wall, and that mm-hmm. could be a out of the way place you're keeping it when it's not on a tool. Mm-hmm. It could just be a metal plate instead of a bracket. Although that wouldn't work for me because then it would always be somewhere else. I mean, I want mine screwed to the wall. So I go to that same place on the wall, like right next to my yeah. pencil sharpener or something. Of course, I'd then take the things out of it and proceed to take them off and, and lose them. So it has to like keep producing Sharpies. Auto-regenerating. Every, every time I open it, it needs to be like a Pez dispenser for Sharpies. And every time I open <laughs> yeah. it, a Sharpie just pops out, even if I've lost the first three. So you need to build like a spring-loaded clip into one side full of Sharpies, Tom. 
there you that would that would be a product just in and of itself a sharpie clip a sharpie pez dispenser wait what where it just it just dispenses sharpies yeah well you know jackman's making that that shoebox dispenser that that pez boot dispenser i mean a sharpie oh dispenser gosh, yeah. seems like it'd be pretty simple but that's one thing i rarely lose when i'm working in the shop and just sit down and forget where i put it so i don't i don't need that for my boots i usually just leave them on my feet most of the time yeah I mean, sometimes I'll just look down and I'll be like, where did I put my boots? And ow, I just stepped on a big metal shard. You know, Tom, uh, I'm thinking just product-wise and, and tie-ins here. Um, you've got the uh, the Nerf targets with the magnets on them, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So what if you made a, a Sharpie, like a Nerf gun that shot Sharpies? Mm. You know, so like, you know, you, you just- yeah, you just a sharpie shooter. You just you load it up with sharpies, and then you know you, you're you're. It's like the the beginning of the week. You've lost all the sharpies from last week, so then you just load up the sharpie shooter, and then you just fire them wherever you have a target around the shop. And then there's always a sharpie available somewhere, like on a table or on the floor. And I mean, that's that's a product right there. I don't think it'll be that hard to make. I like it. I like it. The name sells itself, you know, the Sharpie shooter. What are what are some other items that you'd want to store in this little little caddy or little second aid kit? I don't know. It's hard to make something universal when it's supposed to be individual. It's it's almost impossible. You know, so you can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to put a utility knife in there." Well, which utility knife? Because if it's just a if it's just a a bucket, a, a square or round shaped spot for a utility knife that fits 90% of utility knives, then it's not unique. It doesn't, it's just a, you can make that out of anything. It could have a utility knife dispenser though. That'd be handy. Like the little spring dispensers for dispensing utility knives. That would be a handy thing to have. Oh, in the it. blades? Yeah, just the blades. Oh, oh. That, so that's a great, that's, that, that, would right. be, that would be a handy thing to have there next to your Sharpies. So Tom, I think the answer to that statement is actually in your previous design for the drill press caddy. The caddy itself is just a donut with slots that you can change out based on your needs. You could make this the same way where you have customizable slots that people pick for whatever it is they want to put in there. So it's molded so they could just, so you're basically, you make a framework and then they can slot in whatever they want. So it's customized for, for their needs. Right. Right, you could you right. could get like a sharpie holder that holds three sharpies that dovetails next to a tape measure holder that dovetails next to a something, and then yep. all of them always stack up to yeah. to eight inches wide. So you can have like right. a a U number, like if you're familiar with like IT or electronics stuff. So there's like one slot, one unit. Yeah. But then maybe the tape measure holder takes two units. Right. And another thing takes, but you have a total of ten units across the thing. And then you can mix and match whether you want to use Sharpies or the utility blade dispenser or tape measure holder, pencil holder, pencil sharpener would be another good one that just has a sharpener in the front and a catch for the shavings in it. Yeah. So I have posts in my shop. Uh, A lot of people do in their basements. Yeah. No, you can't see any in the picture. I think they're universal. I think they're the same size almost always. And I could make the same type of caddy for that. And and in that case, there'd be a lot of attachments you could put on there that you would never put on the drill press caddy because it just, why do you need them uh, at a drill press? 
and and you could stack them. But if you make if you make the box magnetic, they would still stick to the posts. Or you could make the angle bracket magnetic, so it sticks to the post, and then the caddy sticks to the bracket. Right. Yeah. And then if you have a wooden beam, which a lot of garages have, then you could screw the bracket to the beam and just attach the the little kit. Interesting. You should. Interesting. Do you have extra slots in your uh, drill index that you just made? Your drill column index for sharpies. I mean, I always. Oh, that's, yes. That's a handy the small thing. one or the big. Yeah, that's a handy thing to have along with the drills right there at your drill press. Yeah, there's there's a spot for a sharpie specifically, and then there's like two generics holes for pens or pencils or something like that. Interesting. So, Tom, at, at everything, how many how many products did we actually create for you today? I I think I think I just scratched four off my list. All right, I, I'd say that's a successful so, session. So ne- yeah. negative negative four. So so we we destroyed four things. So yeah, I'm lost. Yeah, you debunked a few things I was thinking about. It's okay though. I'll get them back. Okay, now now I feel like we maybe we should just cut this whole episode. This is a I think we I think we did we went the wrong direction. Um, I'll, I'll think about it in the edit. All right. Uh, well, hey, it was it was great to see you guys again. Um, thanks for stopping by. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for thanks for having us. You're welcome. And, and you're welcome, PJ. Fellas, I'm not cleaning up all these tools.